It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. A pawn is the most common chess piece on the chessboard, but let's say you need some money, so you decide to pawn the pawn, or really the whole chessboard. Where do you go? Well, the pawn shop, of course, but there's all kinds of pawn shops these days. My guest is Las Vegan Michael Mack, a fourth-generation pawnbroker and owner of Max Pawn, a pawn and jewelry store specializing in luxury designer goods. He was recognized in July as Pawnbroker of the Year by the National Pawnbrokers Association. For everything about Michael Mack and Max Pawn, go to maxpawn.com and you can follow Max Pawn on Instagram and Facebook at Max Pawn Las Vegas. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ira. Thanks. You've got quite the family history. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about your family history and how that came to be part of what you do now. Absolutely. You know, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be born into the pawn industry. I'm a fourth-generation pawnbroker. My great-grandfather started in Seattle, Washington, in Pioneer Square in Seattle, Washington, and it was the first store to sell Jimi Hendrix, his first guitar. So that's kind of a, a little trivia item. My dad migrated to Oakland, where he met my mother, Judy, Ron and Judy Mack. They were there on a honeymoon, and they loved Lake Tahoe and Reno. Came back two weekends later. My mother hit a jackpot back then for $750, which enabled them to rent a little space in the lobby of the Bluebird Motel, about 10 steps from the Reno Arch. They bought some used clothing and got some clothing from a laundromat that was left, ironed it, put some uh, costume jewelry in the window, and that was the start of Super Pond, which my brother and I took to a 50-store chain, sold that approximately 12 years ago. I uh, then took a time, brief time off in the late 90s and became a planning commissioner for the city of Las Vegas and a f- later appointed and re-elected to the Las Vegas City Council. So I spent seven years out of the pond business and came back in approximately 12 years ago. And I tell you, I'm 58 years old, and I have as much spirit as a 35-year-old, and excited every day to walk into my store. What is it about the pawn business that makes you so excited? I've never understood the concept, and you're the perfect person to ask that question. Well, you know, pawn shops are pretty much the people's bank. We're somewhat the last resort for cash. We're not like a payday loan or a check cashing outfit that has recourse. If you plan your chess set or your diamond ring or a designer handbag, you pawn it in the state of Nevada, you have 90 days to pick it up. At the end of 90 days, every other pawn shop would put the item out for sale. It would expire. Max Pawn, we give an additional 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, we would put it for sale. 90% of the people who pawn with us get their stuff back. So I were back to the main question. Why do I love it? Well, we, we help people every day with short-term, long-term financial crisis. And then the flip side, we're a reseller. So we sell pre-owned, I call it pre-loved luxury goods and jewelry at a discount price. So people are looking for deals, 
We have layaways. So it's a great feeling every day to give great deals and help people in their financial pinch. You know, the old image of the pawn shop, Michael, from movies and television shows and just popular culture over decades is that type of little seedy store that people walk into and the guy's behind a bunch of stuff that's not the best quality. And how did the image change over the decades? And obviously to the point where you got recognized, as I mentioned, you received the Pawnbroker of the Year Award. So how did that, how did that evolve? Well, I'm very fortunate. The last three years in a row, I've won Pawnbroker of the Year on the national side, community and media, and last year, the, the National Pawnbroker of the Year. Been the six-time winner in Las Vegas, the best of Las Vegas. It's all about image. It's all those four letters, Ira, like you say, P-A-W-N. They're dirty. They're, they have an image that is seedy. It's still seedy in many cities and many stores across the country. When my brother and I got in the business, we said this. You know, the typical person that goes into pawn shop, like the old Rod Steiger movie, a lady would walk in with her diamond ring. She'd, she'd be trembling because she needed money. She's going through a divorce. She's been cut off. The pawnbroker offers her very little, but she's desperate. She sells it, and she walks out the door and says a few vulgar words. So my brother and I got in the business when we took over my dad's single store in Reno. We said, both college grads, and both had marketing and sales degrees, said, hey, something's wrong with the model. How do we take that customer and, and treat them great and have them come back and do business with us? So we don't treat the customer like garbage. We treat them like gold. So that customer comes in. We don't try to buy it for as low as we can. We try to give them a proper loan so they can come back and get it back. We don't want their asset. We just want to help them. So the asset is not the item that's brought in like the ring. The asset's the customer. So we've worked very hard over the years. Our stores in Super Pond, when we had that chain, were in neighborhoods. They weren't in seedy areas. And we helped not only in middle class, lower class, but we help all forms of financial needs. Well, especially people that have luxury designer goods that uh, <laughs> want to come in and, and, and exactly. borrow some money. Yeah. What's fascinating to me, too, is that you're right. It, it's such an unusual business. I'm just thinking my head's spinning when I'm thinking of doing the bookkeeping for all of that, because you're taking in an item, you're lending money out, you're selling, as we talked about a moment ago, a luxury designer goods, obviously at a, at a good price. So you have to kind of keep track of all that and, that, and that's just one store. And then when you expand, there's all these other elements to it. So how do you keep that all in your head or do you just say, hey, you know what, let other people handle that and I'm just going to be marketing well, this thing? That's the beauty of what my brother and I created back when we 30 plus, 35 years ago, when we first started out is I have to give a lot of credit to my brother, Stephen. He was a systems guy. He built a POS and a tracking system for our pawn shop to operate. There is very there's a, a lot of elements. We take items in pawn, we store them. They have to be stored properly. They have to be stored in, a, in an area where we can easily access them. And so we have systems that show where they are, what they are, when they're due, when they're not due, when they go on a grace period. Same with the retail. We know exactly how many pieces are in every case. We know when something's sold. So again, my brother Stephen was the guy who created the systems, and today he owns the largest software company for the pond environment in the world called Bravo System. So I would think that because of your pioneering effort, you and your brother, that other pawnbrokers in other cities and states 
come to you for advice and to see how you're operating because you're you're doing things differently than most other places. You know, the one thing, Ira, that I've always put forth when I've been in this business is helping others. And, you know, some people would think helping others or competitors would hurt you. But you know, over the lifetime of my career, it's only helped me. It's helped me with regard to if there's someone bad in the industry, someone's faking some gold. We have these great groups that we pass along great information. I'm always helping people. I'm helping people. You know, I was the pioneer in getting luxury in the handbag business. I went to the NPA, National Pawnbroker Association. I gave a speech on luxury and effectuating change. And more importantly, the pandemic and, and COVID. How do we survive in the new environment? So it's a great business. I love giving back and I continue will do that. Just out of curiosity in terms of COVID, did you end up doing curbside service or delivery to the to houses and apartments? Well, we always offer a, uh, not necessarily a delivery, but we have a service that is called closet clean out. And we'll go into your closet, make recommendations and help them, typically ladies, uh, figure out what's good, what's not good, offer to buy or consign items or recommendations where they should go for the best benefit to sell or consign items. The curbside couture is something we came up with during COVID. The one thing I pride myself on is we stayed open the complete pandemic. The governor of Nevada, Sisolak, allowed pawn shops to be open, and that wasn't everywhere in the country. They, they weren't all allowed, but we're considered an essential business. We're a bank. We bank people. They need money every day. So we stayed open. I pride ourselves that we were the cleanest store in the country. Uh, we make people wear masks. We offer hand sanitizer. We still practice the six-foot rule. Of course, we all wear masks. And knock on wood, we've been a very healthy environment. No one's tried to pawn a hand sanitizer yet, right? Well, back in the day when they were hard to find, I surely <laughs> would buy them. I would, I would think so. Everyone was looking to buy them. <laughs> I want to talk a little about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your connection with Las Vegas. You clearly see Las Vegas as a different environment than pretty much any other city, having been part of, as we mentioned earlier, four generations. How is, from your point of view, Las Vegas unique? in terms of not only the pawn business, but also just in general. I just wanted to well, get your sense of that. Well, I, it, it goes beyond the city of Las Vegas. You know, my family, I'm a native Nevadan. We were rooted in, in Reno. Both my brother and I went away to college. After college, I moved to Las Vegas. And right away, we got involved. And the, my parents, Ron and Judy Mack, have always instilled in my brother and I to get back, that payback. And even when we didn't have... The, the means to pay back we gave. And so, you know, I've given back in many ways. I was a downtown redevelopment agency board member. I went on to be a planning commissioner. I went on to be a city councilman. I was representing the fastest growing ward in the fastest growing city in the United States. I'll tell you, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have the means and have the financial ability to give back to our community. And right now, I'm 58 years old. I feel like I have another 12, 13 years left in me, 70, 71, 72 years old right before I really retire. But it's all about give back now. I get more excited about giving back than making. And, and, I, and really, I know, too, that you get involved with, with nonprofits. I was just thinking of something funny, which would be, have you ever thought about the irony if they ever tried to pawn the Thomas and Mack Center? Well, 
I know I'm not quite prepared to write alone that big. You know, I'd, I'd have to go back to the Mac family who started Valley Bank and who are still involved in the banking years. That's the other Mac family, and see if I could somehow leverage that. Right. I just figured Mac and Mac would make it work. So exactly. <laughs> when you look at your customers, and I'm sure because again, alluding to Las Vegas. You get people not only locally, but you get people from other states and, frankly, from around the world. What was the most interesting encounter you've had with somebody from either another country or another state when they walk in and, and deal with you? Well, you know, Max Pond's become somewhat world famous, so we have an international client base from all over the world. And so it's, it's a joy to see we have every walk alive from those that are not very fortunate at all, that are very much hard on their luck, to the very, very wealthiest of Las Vegans who shop with us because we get such unique items at a discounted price. So we have the pawn side, which you would think there'd be a lot of tourists or gamblers that need money, but that's only about 10% of my business. 90% of it is all local, just local short-term needs from a $100 loan to a $20,000 loan is kind of our sweet spot. But we have given loans up to one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand, and a loan as low as ten dollars, so or buy. So you know, I just met with the top brass in Metro. We talked about the importance of the pawn shop in the community because we are, like I say, sometimes the form of last resort for financial needs, and how that plays an effect with Metro. Because if we all went away, where would those people go? How would they find money? And at some point, they may even do desperate measures and, and commit a crime because they couldn't seek or get that type of money. So pawn shops are here, one of the oldest industries in the world, and I hope they're here to stay. What's the most expensive thing you've bought or, or sold? Sold a diamond over the, uh, in the middle of the, uh, the pandemic for $5 million. It was a 50-carat round stone. It was just amazing. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Recently sold a vivid yellow, fancy, radiant cut yellow diamond for 285000 I sold handbags as high as $150,000. And I sold a Rolls Royce Phantom uh, two years ago for 300000 So we do have a lot of big sales happening here and there. But our average sale is, you know, anywhere from five hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. Just on these big sales, you mentioned the Rolls Royce. Do you have a garage to store cars? I mean, how, where do you put these things? So, you know, we used to have one garage or one facility to store boats, cars, jet skis, RVs, and what we found is it was somewhat of a target for theft. So we had people breaking in the garage, stealing items, this and that. So we had security there. Then we found a new form, and the new form was. We work with local storage facilities in town. So when we get a rent, you know, a one-off car or one-off boat, we go to different facilities around the city and place them in stored, air-conditioned, cooled garages. So we're not all at one location, possibly a target for some big theft. It's dispersed around the city, so that way they... That's right. Yeah, it makes it harder to do, which, which makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of thinking that goes on, and when you have this kind of operation, can you give us a sense of how big an operation it is, meaning number of employees or people that work even as independent contractors with you and your brother? 
Yeah, so my store I own by myself, but we have about 15 to 18 people, a few part-timers. We really, I mean, I'm only as good as my, my team. And so I treat my team like gold. Every employee, including the managers, works four tens, four ten-hour shifts, and off three days in a row. And they love it. And I just tell you, from a from an output standpoint, my employees are more productive every day because that three days of rest, or maybe they got all their appointments done in one day and they didn't have to sweat it because they had to leave work. And we have profit sharing, we have health and health and eye and dental care. We just, everything I do, profit sharing to make these employees, and I have long standing employees. I have one that's 35 years, one that's 22 years. I have 15 years. And I think, you know, a few tens. And so it's all about my people. We are probably the largest pawn shop in the country in retail sales. We're, you know, targeting to do between eight and $10 million this year. The one thing I can say though, you know, we have big numbers, but here's my motto. If we can help people and pay the fair price, we're not there to rip people off. And believe me, we could take advantage of people, but my motto is pay fair, pay the top dollar and sell fair. So what does that mean, Ira? It means my profits are very slim, but I'm turning big numbers. I'm helping people every day. I'm satisfying people with financial or gift needs or whatever they may be. And it's just a ball every day. Let's talk a little bit about the National Pawnbrokers Association. How did you get involved with them initially? Well, I'm 58. When I was 23, I was appointed to the board of directors of the National Pawn Association. I was the youngest member ever. And I thought I was really smart back then, but I don't know about that. I don't even know how smart I am today. But NPA has been just amazing because it, it connects you with other pawnbrokers across the globe. We have a government relations committee that I currently serve on to march to D.C. together to protect our business. The NPA offers marketing, insurance needs for the smaller pawnbrokers that cannot find those type of services. And so I'm a big fan of the NPA. We have some great leadership there. We have great board members. And I continue to help that body because they help us every day protecting our interests. Michael, that was great, but you didn't answer my question. How did you get involved with the National Pawnbrokers Association? Um, I first got involved because I heard that there was a, an association at a young age of 22, and I reached out to a man named Charles Jones, who now is a namesake for the Charles Jones Lifetime Achievement Award. And he, I asked him, I asked him what it was. He invited me to one of the conventions, and it was history from there. And so you've been a member for obviously a long time. Does the association police its members or even some non-members in the sense that if they see something going on at a store in some city that's not copacetic, do they take action? Well, that's a very tough thing to police at a national level. They're, they are an association. They're not a, a police or a watch group. But if there is someone who is doing things that aren't proper for the industry, they're obviously going to have their board members get involved and talk to those members. The great thing about our business is we're highly regulated. And I say great things. Most people would say, I don't want government. I don't want regulation. But I love it. We're monitored and regulated by the Metropolitan Police Department. So every item that comes in our store 
Well, wait a minute. Let, let's correct that just so our listeners understand. We're not talking nationally. We're talking now here in Las Vegas. You we're stories. talking in Las Vegas. Right. We do have the best relationship. The state governs the interest charges and the, and the way we do business. And locally, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is our, our oversight and regulatory. So everything we take in is turned in daily, actually, real time to the police department. So... We report everything. Everything has a hold period. If we buy some, it's 30 days to check and verify again if potentially something's stolen. The great thing being highly regulated and having that partnership with Metro is we have less than one-tenth of 1% stolen merchandise rate. And that means is we're not taking stolen merchandise really at all. It might be a clerical error. It might be someone who borrowed something they said it was stolen, but very rare. And when we do, I am super happy that we do get that item. We lose money on that item, but we're getting it back to the victim. And so there is a safeguard. You can go on eBay. You can go on Craigslist. You can go on OfferUp, and you can place items for sale without any regulatory body watching over you. So a lot of stolen merchandise happens to be on those sites. So there is a checks and balances, which is, well, again, we, what we talked about earlier that reputation of pawnbrokers from the past or pawn stores from the past several decades, that image that comes from either movies or TV, or maybe there's some personal experiences that people have with them. It's taken a while to change that image. Is part of what the, the National Pawnbrokers Association does, is that also work on the image or to improve the image on an ongoing basis? It, you know, that's the number one thing that the NPA does, is it promotes those that are doing a great job. It also helps those that aren't doing such a great job. We're constantly battling image still to this day. And uh, one, you know, as we all know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what industry we're in. There's always one bad apple or two bad apples that spoil it for the bunch and they get the PR. We're also very fortunate to have some companies like our pawnbrokers network. That's a PR marketing machine that helps pawnbrokers do image help them with marketing, crisis management, and all of the above. So if it's a member now, clearly if, if a pawn shop is not a member of the association, there's nothing that can be done. But if there's a member in the National Pawn Brokers Association that is a little bit hinky for whatever reason, and I understand the association can't police per se, but they can expel them from membership, right? Yeah, you have to... Uh live up to the code of ethics of right. the Pond association. So that's the, that's the means. Does everyone adhere to those rules? I would say no. And there's a lot of, there's 16,000 pawn shops, a little over 16,000 pawn shops in the USA. Las Vegas happens to be the best and cleanest pawn environment in the country. And of that 16,000, I think 3,000 are members of the NPA. So there's a lot of people out there doing their thing, not regulated like as much as we are, or maybe not paying attention to those rules and laws. But we're very fortunate that the image has changed. The other great thing that we haven't mentioned is we have a show on TV that's the longest standing reality show called Pawn Stars. It's on Las Vegas Boulevard, Golden Silver Pond, the Harrisons. They have done a wonderful job. Some people think, oh, it's not good for the industry. It's bad for the industry tell you one thing. It's been amazing for the industry because what it's done is across the globe, they put the four letters pawn out there and it's wet the palate of all these people. 
And so when they come to Las Vegas, obviously you see lines of Pawn Stars or Golden Silver Pawn, but they're hitting stores throughout Las Vegas and throughout the country and throughout the world because they put that breath of pawn out there. That's true. And what's again interesting is, and, and this is true to what you said earlier, you have no problem promoting another pawn shop because of what they've done on a positive level for the industry. Well, you know, we work closely. There's two public chains. They're the largest in the you know, world. It's Easy Corp and First Cash. First Cash operates Super Pawn in our industry, which is the company that we used to own. And they are always promoting each other within each other. The thing I've put out is I'm the high-end quality watch connoisseur and expert luxury bags authenticating and, and having the right thing. So these other pawn shops are sending people to our store to authenticate. And we do this for free for them. And they, we send back a little slip showing the authentication. And these other pawn brokers around Las Vegas are using us daily for that type of help. Looking to the future, Michael, do you see technology playing an even more important role than it has so far in your industry? Well, you know, I went from handwritten pawn tickets to where we are today. It's all done online. It's real time. If I put an item in, let's just call it an Apple Pro 12 Pro cell phone. We put it in our system. We put the model, the make, the condition. If it has charger with a box, with whatever it has with it, it tells us exactly what to purchase that for, what to loan on it, or what to consign it. So technology absolutely will play a role in the future. Amazon and all the online sellers have made us sharper. Retail is not easy, as we all know. Retail is, is getting tight. Retailers are shutting down. The pandemic has smacked a few others down. So we have to be sharp on our game. We do a huge online business. We have a motto in our store. If we're not helping someone in line, we're helping people online. So each team member is assigned to eBay, to Tradesy, to all the different groups that we sell to online, and it provides what we need to do. But absolutely, technology is our future. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Las Vegan Michael Mack, a fourth-generation pawnbroker and owner of Max Pawn, a pawn and jewelry store specializing in luxury designer goods. He was recognized in July as Pawnbroker of the Year by the National Pawnbrokers Association. For everything about Michael Mack and Max Pond, go to maxpond.com and you can follow Max Pond on Instagram and Facebook at Max Pond Las Vegas. Michael, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Ira, and your show's great, and I will continue following it. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ivor David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.